Welcome to Probably Science. My name's Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. Hello, hello. We're squeezing in a bonus episode. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, is this, it might what, not be bonus to the people hearing it, because I might not put it out until Labor Day. When, is Unless that what you're going to put it in? Okay. Well, I don't think it's time sensitive. Okay. We are getting... I thought we were going to have a bigger gap than we are, but we managed to we managed to squeeze in a guest who yes. was in town. I'm very excited to have uh, for his third appearance, I believe, on Probably Science, my former roommate and uh, college... Uh, Class classmate, I guess would be the word. He works at the Applied Physics Laboratory on various awesome space things. It's Deepak Srinivasan back with us. How's it going, guys? Hey, man, Thanks welcome back. Us. Thanks for having me back. I, I like this new thing where whenever you happen to be in... What are you in town for this time? Well, I'm at JPL this week, there's a, a pretty big project review for the Europa mission. That nice. I, think, I think I might have mentioned that to you guys last time around. I, I was kind of hoping you were just going to say I was here to do probably science, but okay, yeah, fine. Go to JPL <laughs> well, to do well, for the year. So what happened was that I knew you guys were here, so then I called JPL up. I'm like, hey, can we have a design review this there weekend? There we go. Just, just so it lines up well. You know, <laughs> yeah, and they were like, we'll move it forward a week just so we can catch Andy before he goes to Burning Man. That's right. That's right. You have something else that you're going to tomorrow morning, so, yeah, so you know, luckily JPL, they, they changed like... All they're very the, accommodating. Yeah, all it's the people at NASA got, got everybody's travel schedules just, <laughs> just to make this happen for probably science so so what what is the uh what is the thing that is the europa so yeah there's a there's a mission that we have um actually an implementation right now called the europa clipper mission and it's a joint project between jpl and apl where i am on the east coast so apl is kind of jpl east coast if you think about it for you west coast guys um it's a pretty cool mission it's a very large interplanetary mission that's going to go to Jupiter, because mm-hmm. Europa is a moon of Ju- Jupiter, Yes, uh-huh. and uh, one of the most compelling things about that moon is the possibility of water. Actually, not possibility, the probability of water, uh-huh. but not only that, it's the chemical composition of that water and whether or not it's conducive to having life. Okay. Oh, okay, so what sort of minerals and so on are dissolved in it? What exactly, salts it? exactly. So does it, does it have all the chemistry necessary? You know, if, to have life, you need to have water, but you also need to have energy and the right chemistry, mm-hmm. right? Now, water, just if water is in its liquid state, it kind of implies it's between, I'm going to be in Celsius here because it's easier, uh, zero to 100 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. You, you would appreciate right. Celsius. Thank you. Yeah. Because um, I'm a man of science. That's right. That's right. And a man of yeah, the British. And a man of Europe. So, But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, but, well, but then also it, if I remember rightly from my high school chemistry, the more that is dissolved in it, the greater the range of which it stays liquid. That's right. That's so, right. Colligative properties, is that the word for that? Is that the word? That'd be impressive uh, if it was. I'm going to look it up. You, you guys go, can go you, for it. But yeah, I, I, just, right, so, so I remember salt dissolved in it, it makes it melt at a lower temperature and makes it boil at a higher temperature. Right. Which yeah. is one of the reasons you put salt on icy roads. When it's, you, know, you guys don't do that out yeah, here. Yeah, colligative properties. You know, where it's Me only, growing up only in Buffalo, we did it a lot. On, right. So. Where it's only dependent on the concentration and not what the thing is. That's ah. Yeah, yeah. Colligative. Colligative I'm properties. I'm going to have to use that in more... Uh, Properties of solutions that depend on the ratio of the number of solute particles to the number of solvent molecules and are not so, and not on the nature of the chemical species present. And those include uh, lowering of elevation of boiling point, depression of freezing point. It's all about the nice. solute. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, well, yes. So, so you know, the, the actual temperature of the water might be a little bit off from zero degrees to 100 degrees. But if you think about it from Earth, mm-hmm. you know, we've we have all sorts of extreme weather here. 
right down in the Antarctic, as well as in some of the trenches of some of the oceans where there's geysers spewing out hot stuff. Right, right. You know, but in all of those places, we found trace elements of life. So no matter at how every extreme on Earth, there's pretty something much, that survives. Pretty there. much, there's something. Yeah, know? there's even been. We, I think we've done a few stories on this show where there've been there's been life discovered in what was thought to be extraordinarily inhospitable the Antarctica, deep and, trenches, like volcanoes. They just they found life in. I, I'm sure I know we've covered at least a couple of stories where they go, oh, I still found some uh, at least some bacteria that have managed to. Right survive these ridiculously hot or acidic or alkaline or freezing temperatures. Life finds a way, you know, in all of these crazy places. You're right. It was Jurassic Park. It wasn't our <laughs> show, but we found I, I, it. See, I had to have my pop culture reference <laughs> there. Thank you for picking up on that. Um, so, that being said, if the chemistry's there, now if we have the right temperature range, we got the right chemistry, we mm-hmm. have an energy source, uh, Europa's orbiting around Jupiter, so Jupiter, much like the moon orbits around Earth obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moon exerts a tidal force on the earth, which is why we have waves, right? Um, likewise, Jupiter, it's kind of an inverse thing going on here. As Europa goes around Jupiter, Jupiter is providing a tidal force on Europa, pulling and pushing on its ice shell. Uh-huh. And that's providing some transfer of energy into the water underneath the ice shell, providing the temperature required for water to exist in its liquid state. Ah. The actual squeezing of the moon results in increased well, temperatures. So that... it's cold down. It's cold out there. Yeah, yeah. Really cold. Now, we don't know what's exactly inside the core of Europa. So right. there, there might be some warmth there as well. Um, but the actual, fact, I, just, I was just restating what you were saying because I was trying to wrap my head around it. I can't, it's hard to believe that the so, tidal yeah. force is enough to generate additional temperature. That if it's a it. tidal force caused by Jupiter. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. You know, it's, it's, a it's, that's a pretty big thing. Yeah. So... You know, that's providing a lot of energy input into it. So you have your energy there. We have evidence that there's the right chemistry as well, mm-hmm. and the water's at the right temperature. So if there was a place other than Earth in our solar system that likely had life, this is probably one of the most nice. likely ones. So the, the point of this mission, the Europa Clipper mission, mm-hmm. it's not to actually find life, um, but it's to confirm the habitability of Europa confirm the actual chemistry does exist do, do the conditions to know if it's even worth doing further investigation kind of or? that's right that's yeah. right and there actually is another project that's on the in the plans to be on the books for potentially happening <laughs> let's <laughs> add one more yeah, caveat yeah, you to put, put a couple more in there so it's a, actually a lander that would land on Europa oh, sweet. and actually be able to yeah, actually take measurements by touch, which is something that we're not going to be doing. We're, and again, we're you just said the, doing you, you're pretty sure the whole planet is covered in an ice shell. It just well, might have some liquid water underneath it. That's right. So yeah. the, the planet is an ice shell underneath that liquid water and underneath that some sort of rock mm-hmm. type thing. So we're going to go there and find out a whole lot more awesome. about it. Yeah. And that's launching when? Right now it's slated to launch in 2022. And we don't have a launch vehicle selected for it. There's a couple different launch vehicles uh, that we're hopefully going to be using. Um, one of them, which is one that doesn't quite exist yet, it's called the SLS. Mm-hmm. It'll get us there in two and a half years, which is fantastic because it that's just a lot. That's just very short. If you remember when we talked about New Horizons, we yeah. launched a thing. It took something like nine years to get from Earth right, to Pluto. Right. So yeah, you yeah. were already when we first talked about it when you were first on the show. We you were basically two projects on at the point that you were. That's oh, right. or this thing that we launched this this 
this job that I did when I was barely out of grad school exactly is exactly. now about to happen. Right, right. So you know, when you do these space missions, it's it's a long time between major milestones because it just space is big. So <laughs> so the, having a, a, a this new rocket, this SLS rocket space launch system, that's what it stands for. Um, it's it would be the biggest rocket that we have in that class that okay. would be able to put it out there directly in two and a half years. If that rocket doesn't happen, mm-hmm. then we would use a rocket similar to what we just launched the solar probe spacecraft on uh, last week. Um, it would be it's the Delta IV Heavy, mm-hmm. and that one doesn't have enough oomph to get us directly out to Jupiter. So to get you know traveling interplanetary trajectories is is hard, um, and the SLS would provide enough oomph by itself to get us there without even doing any other like flybys. That's to, right. Uh, that's right. Without needing a flyby. What do they call them? Yeah. But yeah, but with the, uh, with the Delta four heavy, which is the, a rocket that is in the, in our inventory right now, mm-hmm. we would need the gravity assist. That's what you were talking about oh, yeah. before. We that's talked the, about the, that's yeah. We talked about this on the, one of the previous times you were on. That's the sort of the slingshotting around. That's right. That's right. So uh, gravity assists are really what make interplanetary travel possible right until the sls comes along because you just can't pack enough fuel on any of these spacecraft to get to where you need to go in a palatable amount of time so you you either steal or or give velocity to other planets and transfer that into into your spacecraft Mm -hmm. so in in this case we would slingshot around um actually interestingly we would launch from earth go all the way around the sun do a flyby of earth again then do a flyby of venus and then do two more flybys of earth and after all four of those flybys we would pick up enough velocity to actually angular momentum is more accurate to get us all the way out to jupiter so that that trajectory takes something like seven and a half years compared so, to two and a half. You said compared to two and SLS. a half. So when they, so is that's that a, why we're all really hoping that yeah. this new rocket comes Who's through. Developing SLS. Um, it's the same guys. So who's just, who calculates these trajectories and it, those are the rocket scientists. You know, there's because that sort of fascinates me. Just I, do they have? I don't know. I know this isn't your field so much, but do they have hunches as to what they might need and then? write computer programs that work it out or do they write computer programs from scratch that just crunch all of the possibilities and go here's here's your option or it's a combination of those two you know they they have lots of ideas they'll start running the simulations they have they have software that models the gravity fields and the motion of all the planets to you know search right. for all of these possible and what, routes and once they've set the initial trajectory how much recorrection is there or is this literally a trajectory that just works from the it, initial thrust and then it, it just, just does the whole thing it just works you know, and you might have some maneuvers that you have to plan in there to target things. Oh, okay. You know, so there there are these slight maneuvers, but overall, actually, I can give you an anecdote on that. So, 2004. This is a, I'm going to rewind a couple missions here to an older mission that we launched in 2004 called uh-huh. Messenger. So, 2004, um, I had not yet met my wife at that time. Um, I launched the spacecraft that was going to go to Mercury, that did go to Mercury eventually. So, 2005 happens. Um, I meet this girl. 2006 happens we're planning on getting married and my wife's like well my fiance at that time she's like well let's set a date how's march 18th sound and march 18th 2006 so i'm like well we can do that but i'm telling you right now 
five years from now, I will be missing our fifth anniversary because <laughs> on March 18th, 2011, we are going to be getting into orbit around Mercury. Well, I could say that with 100% certainty. And I could say that with 100% certainty. <laughs> That's so, incredible. So, you know, I t- before we even got married, you know, I got, <laughs> I got the get-out-of-jail card to say, hey, I'm, I'm missing our fifth anniversary. And lo and behold, I missed our fifth anniversary for a successful injection into orbit around Mercury for yeah, the I guess messenger mission. Better than the alternative, which is... Uh it failed that the you spacecraft could, didn't make there that, for yeah. a, a, an unfun anniversary. <laughs> an unfun anniversary, yeah. right, right. So yeah, so these things are, you know, these trajectories. Once you calculate them, you you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. It really is like just a. It feels like playing a perfect pool trick shot with planets. Yeah, that's right. That's like exactly. you're like, well, once we've set it right, we know it's going to bounce off. We know it's going to bounce off these four cushions, hit that ball, and land perfectly. In, in, in Messenger's case, we had uh, we launched. We had one flyby of Earth two flybys of Venus, and then three flybys of Mercury before we shed enough speed to get into orbit around Mercury the fourth time we got, we got to that planet. So, and, all, and all this was calculated you know, years in advance, and mm-hmm. you know, physics works. And how optimistic are you about the SLS? I mean, are you allowed to even speculate, or you're just like, we hope it's there because we want to use it? If- well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot going for it. It's the rocket that NASA's hoping is going to eventually carry humans to mars so you know there's a large there's a large percentage of the population that wants to see that happen and nasa is certainly investing in that and the europa clipper mission is kind of first on the docket of big missions to get us towards that so i don't see that mandate of nasa ever going away so this is a stepping stone so there's always going to be an impetus to keep that SLS program going. It's just how whether it'll be done in time for what you guys. It's just whether it's going to be done in time because you know there's always technical issues that come up whenever you try to do anything like this. So yeah, I'm looking at the progression of uh, planned upgrades for the SLS, and it gets big. It gets uh, really big to like almost 400 feet tall by um, the fourth one in this in this upgrade plan that I think is. So there is currently a, a rocket called the SLS. It is, but it has not flown yet. Oh, okay. But they there's test, a whole Wikipedia they, page of they have various what, is, what does SLS stand for? Space Launch System. Uh, that that is a NASA ship rather than a Boeing or SpaceX That's or correct. one of those third party ones. NASA funded. That's right. And right now, do we use Russia for uh, everything crew related? Is is out of Russia still? Right, like the Soyuz. I think so. But cargo, it's all over the place. And cargo, I mean, you got Elon Musk doing his thing. In fact, right. uh, the Falcon Nine. That's that's a SpaceX rocket. That's also in the list of possibilities that could that could launch Europa, but it, it doesn't have the oomph of the SLS. It, it, would, it would be the, that inward trajectory where we got a slingshot by Earth and Venus okay. to get us back out there. So, so yeah, that's another rocket that's in the mix. Fingers crossed for this um, 3.6 million uh, foot-pound thrust SLS coming our way in a couple of years. Yeah, because we... According to Wikipedia. I got it. I got it. Have you seen... Have you been close to a, to a rocket launch before? My very first mission that I worked on, I was actually down at, at the Cape, Cape, Can- um, Cape Canaveral Air Force Base at mm-hmm. Kennedy Space Center, where I actually witnessed the launch of my first mission. Awesome. Yeah, I had, it was it was kind of funny. I had to um, I had to be in the clean room down there because there was some electronic equipment that I needed to, oh, I needed okay, to yeah, operate, yeah. and it was in a clean room. The, the clean room being you no contamination, get, you, you have to be in the white suit and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the, I had to be there until literally about 45 seconds before launch. And I didn't want to miss this launch, right? Yeah, so yeah. I had to, like, at, at the roughly one minute before launch, I just got out and just climbed up the building, me and uh, <laughs> another intern that was with me. We just ascended the building, and we were able to catch the rocket launch from very, very close. Sitting on the edge so, of a roof with, like, brown bags full of Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, it was it was phenomenal. I don't know if you guys have ever had. No, I was just thinking that I'd need to, and we we have options now that SpaceX is launching some of very still, regularly. Yeah. yeah, they do most of them from Florida still, but they do a fair few from just up the coast in California, and I. Isn't it kind of near Solvang or like between? Yeah, it's a bit of a drive, but it's worth it. I'd, I'd also, you know, it's obviously a pain in the ass if you drive up and quite frequently they call it off because mm-hmm. of weather or postpone it by a day. But um, yeah, I would like. That'd be fun to see. I would it's, want to it, see it, it as it, someone who's been into this stuff for years, like to be that close. It's it's tough though because what you just said happens so often where you plan on having a rocket launch on a day, but then something happens, mm-hmm. you know, to to delay it. I mean, for um. We just recently launched this Parker Solar Probe mission just last week. Right, congratulations, by the way. Thank you, thank you. That's we can awesome. talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, the last episode we were on, you were talking about it was still in the we're about to do this stage. Right, and we, we, we launched it. So now that's on its way. Uh, gonna, it's going to do a flyby of Venus and then get routed towards the sun and start doing its its solar mission. And I don't, but, I'm not a superstitious guy, but i got to say uh, the fact that I've had the Parker Solar Probe um, sticker on my refrigerator for the last year i think is the reason why I, it went six, we, we are we are extremely grateful to you and your refrigerator for making <laughs> you know that what? happen for us i remember them writing yeah. about the fact that someone had the sticker on the fridge and i forgot that it was you i'm yeah. so honored to know you that that's that's how it all happened but yeah so we that was supposed to launch uh, on saturday i think that was the 11th but uh there was a anomaly with the launch vehicle mm-hmm. and it wasn't called until the very end of the launch window so you yeah. know we're sitting there we go through the entire launch countdown everybody's you know, your, your hearts are thumping, you're getting ready, adrenaline's going, everything's checking out well, everything's checking out well, but then all of a sudden, an anomaly on the launch vehicle. It was a um, a helium regulator, whatever that is. I don't know what it does. But it probably it does, regulates helium. Uh, that's what, <laughs> other, other than, you know, doing the regulationing of the heliuming. It, oh, that's probably, um. so helium's in short supply these days. There's a problem that's with the right. shortage of helium, that's so that's right. probably like the guy who sits on the rocket making sure you don't use too much of it. Right, because you need to have some for like all the kids' birthday parties. Right. Exactly, you know, Macy's. Can't, can't, I think it's a, like a representative from Macy's who stands there. That's, that's right. That's sure right. That their parade is going to have enough helium. That's I uh, exactly. When, when you get to the sun, you just launch a bunch of balloons to celebrate, which instantly get <laughs> <Which instantly, yeah. laughs> right. But the I, sun does have helium, so you can collect some of it. And that's a very good point. We can farm some helium from the sun In and bring fact, it back to helium, Earth. Helium, the name helium comes from the sun. So if you remember so the, the, the Greek god of the Son, if Helios, you remember yeah. Helios, helium, yeah. See, there's we were just talking to, about to that. We were forgetting what the process. Maybe you don't remember off the top of your head either. But like, so hydrogen fuses to form helium, but then helium also fuses further to make something. Or because helium is the fuel, right? Is is what's in the sun. So what is the process that's happening there again? Well, I, I can just I, Google this. Well, I think the hydrogen is you're having these atoms. See, so I'm not a I'm not a quantum we're physicist here, but I'm, ge- I'm guessing it has to do with all these free-floating protons, you know, because hydrogen has single protons, and then they smash together, uh-huh. and they, they make a bond to make helium, and during that time, or during that process, a, a whole lot of energy gets Yeah, I think out. the sun is mostly hydrogen slash deuterium slowly turning into, or rapidly, but there's so much of it turning into helium. That's right, that's right. So gradually over time... The helium the itself, hydrogen to helium also... ratio in the sun is increasing, or, de- or de- decreasing, decreasing, rather. decreasing, yes. and, the, and the sun's burning out slowly, which will ultimately lead to our demise. I feel like we've talked about this on a past podcast many times, and I'm just forgetting the details yeah. of it. Because I think there was also an episode we realized like it's it's a more complicated chain of events than 
Well, of course it's more complicated than just <laughs> atoms smashing together and releasing energy. But it's just a cookbook. But it just came it's back just a to basic me that, that we went into the actual details probably like six months ago. Like, it's six years of this podcast. I can't retain everything. That's um, right. So, yeah, so, so the had, helium regulator went wrong. You yeah, yeah, so we had, and, you know, they, you know, launch vehicle guys, you know, they're, you know, they know everybody's into this thing. So they're trying to fix it and figure out what the anomaly is and, and right. give us the green to go ahead for launch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they got their bosses leaning over them, but at the same time, it's much worse to send the thing up and have it explode. Oh yeah, with- yeah. And you have a, you have a finite amount of time per day because you know the Earth is rotating, right? So when you launch, you need to be at the right angle, you know, celestially speaking. Right. So if if that, that that's where that's what defines your daily launch window. So you know you want you want to be pointed in the right direction. So if you, if you exceed the time that's allotted, all of a sudden you're launching in the wrong direction, and your mission design no longer. You're, you're asking about these people that, that yeah the orbit. Well, even it's I was about timing, I was going to ask you about that. Even launching one or two days later, which is what normally ends up happening when these things go wrong. Even launching one day later, the Earth has moved around the sun a little bit more roughly by a, a degree if you, you know 360 degrees in a circle 365 oh, yeah. days in the oh, so yeah. you're roughly one degree around the sun so again that would have would also affect you'd have to slightly you have alter to, you the have to tweak you have to tweak everything you know not only that but for especially interplanetary trajectories where you're you're aiming for all these flybys you know earth has moved a little bit about its orbit venus which is our keystone to get to the sun that's moved a different amount so you have to slightly alter everything yep. all these things are all pre-calculated and yeah. that's what, that um that defines the the date range in which you can launch and the distance you're traveling is so huge as well that presumably a tiny error in any direction no it's huge a tiny error in either angle or momentum or anything is going to cause a huge error later on yeah it just propagates and gets bigger and bigger and bigger so you you have to be very very precise with this stuff yeah so that's what that's why you know you have you have both a daily launch window which is defined by the rotation of the earth but then you also have like a time period during which you can launch which ranges anywhere from days to weeks depending on what what the mission looks like mm-hmm. and you know once you exceed that you got to wait a year months years oh. who knows before the next launch opportunity before the various before the numerous different planets that Literally you're going around up. are back in the correct alignment yeah. or or you find a or you recalculate a new path you that's right that's right so you know you really want to make these things happen so anyway so on on solar probe launch day you know we we were all keeping our fingers crossed, but it it unfortunately didn't happen and uh, got pushed to the next day. Now, what was kind of worrisome was that on the on day one, the weather was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like the weather at at around uh, Florida was perfect. The weather in Australia, which is uh, both South Africa and Australia, which is where our first contacts were going to be, uh, you know, spacecraft out in space and the first ground stations that would that would uh, establish a communication link was first in in uh, oh you, you can't just be talking with it from any well if the spacecraft is on the western is above the eastern hemisphere you know you can't really use any ground stations in the united states to i guess i just assumed that you use communication satellites to talk to it's always direct earth to, to well, the rocket you or? use you, to, to for deep space missions and most missions like this you actually have a whole set of ground stations not not Space yeah. relay satellite. I mean, we do have some relay satellites in space called uh, TDRS, the Tracking Data Relay Spacecraft System, something like that, which do these kinds of things. Um, but for deep space missions, we we need these ground stations mainly because you can build these huge dishes. It's all about aperture. The, uh-huh. the bigger your dish, the more gain you can get. Right, right. And you know, you can't uh, you can't launch something that. I mean, they're, they're the uh, 
the big dishes that we have, the biggest dishes that we have in our in our normal arsenal are these seventy meter diameter dishes in uh, Australia, Spain, and California. And they're used just for for deep, deep space missions. They're not used for any other kind of like they're not also not, not these ones. These, like, these are these are part of the what's called the deep space network. So they're uh, they're meant for communicating with the with deep space assets such as New Horizons and Solar Probe. So but, does, so wherever someone's launching from, and all these things share with any country that has a space program, or are they kind of? They're, they're, we have agreements with certain countries. Yeah. you know, like like these ones that I just named here. They they are operated by NASA. Oh, so okay. you know, we we I don't know what the agreement is that we have multinationally, but you know th- those are NASA assets. Likewise, ESA, the European version of NASA, they have their own uh, ground stations scattered around the world. Oh, okay. and JAXA, the Japanese guys, they have their own network as well. Um, and there's agreements that we can we can use each other for various reasons. Yeah. You know, sometimes you want to, sometimes th- there's a ground station that's just in the right spot that we need for a specific event. So we'll you know we'll work it out and make sure that we can all be happy together right, right. you know but so on, on day one the the weather over the first two uh ground stations that we were planning on on talking to the spacecraft with like i said those those were perfect sorry oh man two different oh, devices Andy. two different devices ringing at the same time in my defense it's my mom so, oh, okay. uh, all right yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, say saying, hi, you say hi to her no no no, no okay so you know, so then we, we postponed it the next day, and the rocket issue, the helium regulator, that was fixed, but now the weather started looking bad. You know, it was, we had like a, I think a 40% chance of rain at, at the Cape, and, you know, if there's, if there's lightning in the vicinity, they, you know, they don't want to take any chances due to weather, so you'll, you'd have a good chance of being scrubbed again. So we, we kept an eye on it, but luckily, luckily the weather held off, and uh, we were able to go the second day. So I think it was August 12th that morning, very early in the morning, around 3.30. What, when do you, at what point in the process do you relax? That depends on who you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? So if you're the guy that's in charge of just bolting the spacecraft together, and you know, which is a huge ordeal, getting all the stuff together and launching it, you know, that thing goes off the ground and everybody, you're all smiles, you're done. You know, if you're one of the scientists, you know, you you care about actually getting all the way to the sun. Yeah, yeah. If you're the communications engineer, you care about a, you care about seeing the spacecraft talking to Earth for the very first time, which is roughly 45 minutes after launch. Oh, okay. So, you know, everybody has their different moment of terror. You know, if if you if you're the launch yeah. vehicle guy, if you're if you're in charge of that helium regulator, you know, you you want to see that thing light up and so you're like six seconds after liftoff, you're golden. You're 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 like, all right, I'm done. I'm yeah. going home. And I'm good. Did it right. That's right. That's right. So, so it depends on who you are. Forty five minute silence for communication. I didn't know that. I assumed it was constant and then just changed over. Well, to what, or... so when it's when it's when the spacecraft is getting launched, it's encapsulated inside of the rocket, right? So it's not really under. It, it has no way of talking directly to the Earth. So it's basically this thing being delivered into space it's just a payload but you're still yeah, yeah. just talking to the rocket and the, all of its so, yeah the earth will be yeah that's okay. right yeah you have a different people in a different mission control room that are operating the rocket so they'll be talking to the rocket oh, and seeing, seeing i didn't what's know there were there. two different i just assumed you guys all shared a space well, and you're all looking we're at the all, same screens or something well we're all we're all doing different functions right, right so you, you have i believe it was in colorado is where the mission control center was for the rocket people it was the, the delta four heavy rocket for a oh, solar probe the- so i think they they they, they were in colorado you know you obviously have the ground crew at 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 space center and at in uh, cocoa beach and then you had us up in Maryland for mm-hmm. operating the spacecraft. 
so you know it's when at, at launch it's the launch vehicles game the, the colorado guys operating the um the the delta four heavy yeah you know they were they were calling all the shots making sure that their first stage got got us out of earth's gravity um the second stage put the spacecraft where it's supposed to be and then the third stage had to actually slow us down such that we could start falling in towards the sun but then at once the rocket those three stages of the rocket once that puts us in the right spot and in, in at the right momentum now they're out of the game they separate from us and we're now officially on our own okay and interestingly enough the uh, the cable that actually connects us to the when i say us i mean the spacecraft that connects the spacecraft to the launch vehicle during all this time is called the umbilical cable poetically because literally when it breaks off you're breaking the umbilical and the spacecraft is now yeah. on its own of, of one of those uh like a deer with its uh little <laughs> i can't think of the word to describe a baby legs. deer that can't yeah but like an adjective to describe <laughs> legs that don't work well because you're just born you're just it's born. not even that you're early just... and i'm still my brain is not working well but that, that that's true though because like you, you, as, as, as soon as you as soon as we get popped off the the third stage we don't yet have our solar panels deployed we're, we're literally in a fetal position because we have we have to be packed tightly to fit inside of the rocket right so then once once we're separated and we're in space, then we unfurl our solar arrays so we mm-hmm. can actually, you know, get power and start doing our stuff. So, so where in the process are we now? So at this the point of recording, right, right, right what, at the point that I got you to right now, where we where we were released from the third stage, that was roughly forty five minutes after liftoff. Mm-hmm. So during those forty five minutes, the people in my mission operations center, which is in, in at the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab in Maryland, you know, we I don't want to say had nothing to do, but we were playing the waiting game. Yeah, you know, we yeah. obviously celebrated when we saw the thing lift off the ground and, you know, the... the yeah, the, you're like, uh, our thing hasn't exploded yet, so we're good. Not, not only that, but it, the, the trajectory that they put us on was, was dead on. Right. You know, like, when if, if the launch vehicle is off by a little bit, you could still recover the mission, but sometimes you might have trouble finding the spacecraft. Like, you think you're in one spot of this part of the sky, but you're actually in a different part of the sky. Or you're going at some velocity, you're, but you're going at a different velocity right the launch vehicle might have had an error you know but you know the the, the launch vehicle guys they put us dead center it was looking great awesome. so as soon as we were supposed to talk we knew exactly where we were and we were right there so yeah that but that that total ascent process took like i said roughly about 45 minutes so and like by said, the end of that how far from earth is it or is it still in a pretty little I, orbit or I, is... it's it's still very close to earth at yeah. that time i can't I, I don't know the exact you know how many thousands of miles or hundreds of thousands of miles, but uh, it, it's still very close to Earth. Oh, it's 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 that far. I thought maybe it was even closer than that. It's in the hundreds of thousands of miles at the forty-five minute mark already. Um, can't quote me on these okay. numbers. <laughs> I, okay. I, I'm not exactly sure exactly where it is, but no, it, it, at least in the tens of thousands of miles. Oh, okay. Because okay, okay. okay. this thing is picturing. screaming at at, yeah. at you know for forty-five minutes straight. It's 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 hauling. But I thought so, it's still kind of. I guess I thought all rockets didn't. You know, the curved, and then uh, we're pretty soon. Well, if you think in about it, the some kind how, of how how that. how many how wide is the United States? Like three thousand miles ish. Yeah. So, you know, to just from here to Australia, you're in the tens of thousands of miles there, and you're working your way away pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah. So you're you're at least and once you're outside of the atmosphere, it's just pure acceleration as well. You've got almost no resistance. And There's it's no just, resistance. Yeah. You're you're you've you're, got nothing slowing you down, and it's just getting faster and it's, faster because there's constant thrust going back. Yeah. Until until you get released, of course. Right. And at that point in time, like 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 I said, the uh, launch vehicle puts us in the trajectory that we hope to be in, and 
you know, we'll, we'll do our commissioning to get our propulsion system working, but we're not going to be doing our maneuvers until a little bit later on when we have to do our course corrections to get to, yeah. to get to Venus. So, so right now, uh, where is it about? Well, it's probably, and today is August 20th when we're recording. If anybody's today's August to 20th, well, later. we launched on August 12th. I think our Venus flyby is the end of September, I believe. So we are probably an eighth of the way to Venus. Okay. <laughs> So we're we're on our way there, and interestingly, you, you to get to the sun is actually kind of hard because mm-hmm. the Earth, as we all know, is revolving around the sun, and you know about one degree of orbital arc per day, which is really really fast. So if you want to get close to the sun, you got to take that velocity out, right? Because anything that launches from the Earth has, has all own... that velocity behind it already, right? Right. Well, this is the. It's. I remember sort of trying to calculate the the equations of just orbital mechanics are remarkably compl- complicated because yeah. you you can't. I, That's I remember what even scientists do. <laughs> yeah, I even I've seen a computer simulation where you can play with it, and even that, that was even what Buzz Aldrin's PhD was in. I think I remember reading orbital about mechanics? that. Mechanics. Yeah, that was he, like, that was what he was known for. That was his. That was his, what he was good for in in the Apollo program. But because there's even when he was trying to. Even at the very close range thing, when you're trying to dock two vehicles together, it becomes quite counterintuitive, right? Because Crazy you hard. you yeah. accelerate towards the other vehicle, but then accelerating increases your velocity, which then pushes you further out in the orbit. Which then, like, it's just it it that, that, there's a lot more to it than you think it than just the basic mechanics when you're on a plane when you're in a simple yeah yeah right. I mean, to the amount of energy it takes to actually go towards the sun is actually more than it takes to 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 leave the sun altogether. That's think about it. To leave the uh, to, so to, 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 leave to the... achieve to achieve escape velocity of our solar system is less speed than or less delta speed I should say than you need to actually hit the sun. Which is if you think about it that's so counterintuitive. So, I, I know you're, you, I you understand need, saying you need math so, yeah, works out but it's it so counterintuitive. So of course it's counterintuitive because you think well everything is falling towards the sun. It's got so much mass everything in our it. solar system is by definition falling towards the sun because that's what orbiting is. But it's but orbiting. You're moving at speed already around it. So you right. Need, so you're just going to if you if you're falling towards the sun but just a little bit off, you're just going to loop around the sun and yeah. come out the other side. Because an orbit just the, the easiest way to think about what an orbit is is effectively you are falling in towards the sun, but you're moving so fast that as you fall, you're falling slower than the horizon of the sun curvature disappears. The sun. Than the yeah. curvature of the sun disappears. Right, right. that's exactly right. Uh, like that's, I remember just that. That was when I finally understood what. Well, that diagram, like Newton's canon, was one. Oh, that's what yeah. an orbit is. Now I understand it. For, right, right. Well, for those people who. If you look up a picture of it, it'll explain it better than I am right now. But if you picture a cannon sitting on the top of a mountain on Earth, if you fire that cannon at a regular, at a fire it hard, it'll fall towards the Earth in a nice little parabola. But if you fire it even harder, it'll fall towards the Earth and it'll it'll fall past where the first one fell. But by the time it gets to that further point, the Earth is actually curved around a bit, so it falls even further still than you'd expect because the Earth isn't right. flat, it's curved. And as it falls further, the Earth is curving against and it. And if yeah. you do it really far, exactly, it's going so far that as it falls down, its its curve falling down towards the Earth is actually further than the curve of the Earth itself, so it keeps falling, and it ends up traveling around in a big circle around That's the right. Earth, which That's is right. what an orbit is. A, well, a circular orbit. Right. So in, in these cases, if... 
if you take out most of Earth's velocity to get towards the sun... Which I just looked up, if you're curious, which is that Earth's going about 30 kilometers per second or 67,000 miles an hour. Okay. So that's the built-in. You're trying to so remove I, I, some so of you, that, that... If you check, check out what the escape velocity should be for the sun. So and it, that doesn't matter how far you are from the sun. That's a thing that would be fixed at any... Escape velocity? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. Escape velocity of the sun, according but, to the internet. So what happens, though, So if you don't take out all of that 30... You said 30 kilometers per second... Or 30 kilometers per hour, I'm not sure what, what yeah, you said. Yeah, 67,000 miles an hour, so 30 if, kilometers if you, per second. If you don't take out all of it, you're basically just going to slingshot around the sun again. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll get close to the sun, okay. but you're going to come out the other side at that It's not like even reducing speed. some of it helps you out to just, yeah. If you, if you wanted to hit the sun, it's really hard. You know, you, And you guys want to, again, come within how close? We're coming within eight solar radii of okay. the sun, eventually. So we, 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 it's going to be a series of, I believe, 24 flybys of the sun. And with each flyby, we're getting progressively closer and closer and closer to to our ultimate flybys, which uh, I think the closest one is on the order of eight solar radii. And that those are where we're actually going to get the the real science questions that that are really driving this mission answered. Mm-hmm. You know, which is I believe it's going to be like maybe five to seven years from now. So it's Jesus. it's going to take a, it's going to take a while so before. That... But but the good news is we have a, a multitude of flybys upstream of that uh-huh. that are going to be giving us new and interesting information about the sun. And after each of those flybys, it comes back out in just an ellipse, and it, it doesn't orbit around something else to get slingshot. slingshot we we, back we, will, to the sun, we will have we all right. So if if we didn't if we didn't slingshot around anything else, you'd just have these constant. Think of it as like petals of a daisy. Right, you, mm-hmm. you you go in towards the sun, and you come right back out. These highly elliptic, highly elliptical petals, and you, you keep on uh, just and those, doing that over those and over would again. Be, those could mostly be happening just with natural orbital mechanics, and not with you having to do any thrust to get Th- those. Those would like, be now. Yeah. You'd want to do some sort of targeting because there's always some um, some residual errors, solar pressure. There's all, some some drag due yeah. to some stuff that's out there near the sun. So you're always going to have to do some sort of station keeping type maneuvers. But yeah, pr- predominantly it would just be classic Newton Kepler's doing his Kepler doing his yeah. stuff. Um, but what we will be doing though is multiple flybys of Venus to dump more of our momentum into Venus, thereby speeding it up, slowing us down, getting closer, enabling us to get closer and closer to the sun. Now, oddly enough, so we'd be we're using Venus to constantly slow us down. This is those counterintuitive things, but by doing that, we're going to get closer to the sun and travel faster at at the point of closest approach at the sun now for those those last few flybys that i mentioned where we're going to be roughly eight solar radii away mm-hmm. we're going to be hauling it's it's going to be the fastest object ever made by mankind at roughly one one thousandth the speed of light damn wow one one thousandth the speed so so when fast you, that we we had, you had to take like relativistic that was about to be my very next yeah. question are you gonna that will change that's fast enough that you do have to jump to Einstein equations because Newton's not going to cut it for specific timekeeping type um, problems. Yeah, we do. Now that, but that alone, I mean, it sounds really impressive. But we do that all the time with GPS, believe it or not. So the GPS satellites that we have out there, those are also in the elliptical orbits around Earth, uh-huh. and um, they constantly get their clocks updated because if they didn't, within I think seconds to minutes you'd see enough drift that'll throw off all of the navigation that we use with our cell phones and oh, shit. E- everything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So relativity, it's, it's real, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't see it in day to day life, but it, it really, an understanding of relativity is what makes GPS work and it'll, 
enable us to still operate our space the solar probe spacecraft mm-hmm. around the sun i just looked up what the speed of light is to divide it by a thousand and we're, that's going to be going six hundred seventy thousand miles an hour it, that's right it's right in that <laughs> that's right in that did you, did you look up the escape velocity of the sun oh um did we get to that it let's see so we will let we talked about the the previous time you're on the show we went into quite a lot of detail into what the actual solar probe was and how it's going to work. But do you want to give us a very quick... The science behind it. Oh, yeah, what it is that you're doing just for people who didn't hear that lesson. All right, so there's... Lesson? So so solar probe... (laughs) What is it? Episode. (laughs) These count as lessons, don't they? (laughs) I mean, they pretty much are. They are mandated by the teacher. (laughs) Let's talk about history for a second. So NASA was chartered, I believe, in 1958. You can check me on that. (laughs) I don't know why uh, I have the Google guy today. But uh, yeah, you're the one with the laptop. Yeah, that's true. I have an iPhone. So NASA's 1958, I think. So there's, there was a report put out that same year of what the nation's biggest space science questions were. Mm-hmm. And in that report from 1958 was the first mention of a suggestion to our... It's called, I believe, the Simpson Committee. It was a suggestion from the Simpson Committee, the National Academy of Sciences, saying that, hey, we need to do a mission like this solar probe to understand stuff about how, how our sun works. 60 years ago. 1958. It's, it, so this, 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 the impetus of this mission, the initial thought behind it, happened literally at the time of the founding of NASA. And it's just taken this That's long. Insane. It is. It is. But, I mean, you can, you can imagine the engineering challenges of making this kind of mission happen. Well, right. you, yeah, you went into it in some depth in the previous episode, but just, just I mean, our listeners can already yeah. just, even the concept of solar probe, the concept of a thing That's that is made the on, surface of the sun. Yeah, that is made on Earth out of materials on Earth that can go within eight solar radii of the sun. That isn't just something a star. you're throwing into a bonfire to see how it burns. It's That's like right. You're trying right. to also have it be functioning. You're, you're, you're trying to have it survive for several orbits to actually send science back to Earth. That's right. That's right. Without destroying itself. So, so the, the reason, so these, the Simpson Committee way back in the day, they wanted to get this close to the sun because there was, there's fundamental questions that we just don't know how it works. I mean, you think about what, what's the most important thing in our solar system. You know, I guess arguably either the Earth or the sun. but Or us. Well, all right. What's the most important <laughs> celestial object in the solar system? It's it's one of those two, you know, yeah. depending on your point of view, right? And but also about the three of us, not humanity, by the way. Okay, right, right, us, right. Yeah. But the um, you know, we just don't know a lot about how the sun works, and it it matters. There's you know, the sun is constantly spewing out all sorts of crazy stuff, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's it's disruptive. Um, in 1989, this is a history lesson for everybody else as well. There was a major power outage that, like, the power across the entire eastern seaboard of the United States and most of Can- and part of Canada and there too was just it was just knocked out, and it was because of a crazy large solar storm. It it messed with our power systems and darkness, um, and that was back in 1989. If you think about how many things are reliant on all the networks that we have going on right now, yeah, if such a thing like that were to happen now, in fact, it did. There, there was another spacecraft that we launched back in 2006 called Stereo. The, one of the best acronyms ever for a NASA mission. Stereo, Solar Terrestrial Relations Observatory. But you think Stereo, it was like done backwards, well, the, the name? Uh, possibly, but, but it's really, really well done, though, because it's actually two spacecraft that are orbiting the sun, uh, one of them in the same direction as Earth and one of them anti-Earth. So you're getting stereographic pictures of the sun, okay. enabling you to see it in 3D. So you're seeing various, you know, just like a, you know, the 
the latest Avengers movie you can watch in 3D because they have two cameras just mm-hmm. offset by about the width of your, your mm-hmm. eyes. Except in this case, the two eyes of the Earth, the, 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 the two, opposite size of the Earth. Yes, right. That's right. So um, they, they were an oper- they, one of them is still in operation now after, I think it's like 12 years into a two-year mission. But um, That seems they, to happen quite a lot. Do, do, you rec- do, do you NASA and affiliated types purposely undersell the amount of time well, you expect a mission to, no, well, you, it, to it, last? I don't think it's it's meant to like that. But you you but, sort of set a lower bound of like this has to hit this amount of time and this is what it's for. Well, and then all right, so it's, it's all about surprised. it's all about probability curves. You you know we will have like a requirement to have a ninety nine percent success rate. All right, right. so you to say all right after two years you have to have ninety percent ninety nine percent certainty that this thing is still working. So that means after three years you probably have a ninety five percent certainty of it working. After ten years you probably have a fifty percent chance of it working. Right. So it, it, it's all about probability curves. So yeah. if you're designing right. a two-year mission to 99% success rate, it's probably going to last, you know, probably being 51%, it's probably going to last eight to 10 years, unless there's like some sort of consumable on board that you're going to run out of, right? If you, if you only had enough fuel, if you only carried enough fuel and your mission required fuel, then right. that you would... You can predict accurately when it's Right, but if it's something that's just, that's just out there, you know, it's going to last longer than it's, than or it's it designed Or it has like with. one of those RTGs that has a half-life of... Uh way longer than uh, well that that new horizons is like that but what i was saying before is that so stereo when it was out there it detected a storm in 2012 so just just recently that was extremely large and it missed us by roughly two weeks now you, you, were, you were talking earlier today about um the earth moving roughly one degree per day around its orbit uh-huh. so, so you can so it put, missed us by about by, 14 by degrees. two weeks. Right. Yeah, it missed us by roughly 14 degrees. I didn't know these things were focused and directional. I they are. I that they, they were are. all like the well, same in any direction. The, the from... sun is always spewing stuff in all directions, but for specific solar events like a coronal mass ejection or a solar flare, those, are, those have a preferred direction, and it'll eject a whole lot of radiation in one direction. In, in one sort of cylinder and or this cone. And or... this was, the, as far as I know, the... The most powerful recorded solar storm that we've that we've ever recorded, oh, shit. and you know the stereo spacecraft recorded that, and it literally missed us by two weeks. Had and it been it... two weeks earlier, it would have just hit us. And the estimates are between two to three trillion dollars of, of damage. Two to three trillion dollars. <laughs> what kind of things? Well, did just everything like Wi-Fi, every electronics, every all sort of electronics. I mean, all like my phone would be space toast. assets. Well, I mean, you think about the GPS going down. I mean, think about think about what it's happens there. It's not necessarily there. that hardware is all ruined forever, as much as like lost productivity because during that window, some things some work, things would damage irreparably. Some things would just be not working, not knocked offline for some indeterminate amount of time. You know, the various damage conditions are different. Yeah, but I mean, like, would that even be the period of time? Like like, I'm sure it would. Would that even be the period of time when it first hits? Probably where you. Like no one even knows what it is. They, pro- I'd imagine they'd be panic at first, thinking, "Is this some kind of terrorist attack or some kind of Who foreign knows? nation yeah. that has managed to hack into the systems and shut all our Wi-Fi down?" Or- Could be. You it's, know, it, 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 it's like the first it's the of- interesting social dilemma. You know, how what what happens? Yeah, is it the war of the worlds kind of thing? You know, core, yeah, and you can't, like- and you also can't. <laughs> If if Wi-Fi and internet's down as well, it would make it hard to propagate the information that lets people yeah, know yeah. what it actually is. That's right. That's right. Because everything. I mean, how many of you guys have cable TV anymore? I mean, it's all done over the internet right now. Yeah. So you know the the amount of 
like I said, the, the damage was estimated between two and three trillion dollars. I mean, how do you even estimate insane. something like that of that order of magnitude? But it's huge. It's three, the, the market cap for Apple just crossed a trillion dollars. So three times the worth of Apple as a company just ceases to exist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, just all the the worldwide mayhem that'll exist too. Right. And you know, the markets. It's, it's, and, yeah. You know, it's not something that we want to live in. But, you so know, maybe that, just everyone chooses that day to go out and read a book, and it just really <laughs> improves things. You know, maybe maybe everyone's just really happy that day. Everyone gets on a uh, someone gets on a bullhorn to tell you to go read a book. How do you yeah. find out you should be reading? People, a book people, people my Kindle doesn't work. Like, how, how, do I, how, do I, how do I how do I how do I turn a page? I don't know. Wi Fi Kindle. <laughs> what, what, I don't understand this 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 paper technology. So, but that's why this mission is important, and and you know it was deemed important way back in the day to understand all these physical properties of the sun and and how it works. There's crazy stuff that's the sun. So, so the atmosphere of the sun is actually hotter than the surface of the sun by millions how of degrees. How far out do you call it the atmosphere? Far. So many solar, ra- double-digit solar radii. We will be within the atmosphere when we do that eight solar radii. Yes, yes, we will be within the. We will be within that. And so that. So, so that, that. That's that's the temperature there is roughly millions of degrees. Roughly millions of degrees. A pretty rough number, <laughs> but which is hotter than the surface of the sun, which is kind of. That's another. You're talking about counterintuitive stuff. Right. Right. Like if you're which roasting marshmallows, also- you know, you put if you put the marshmallow like at the tip of the flame of the fire, it burns. But if you put it like two or, two or three inches, it gets that nice brown singe. Mm-hmm. The sun is sun is opposite from that. You know, if you That's, if you put it no sense, if yeah. you put it the equivalent of two or three inches away from the solar bonfire, it it's it's toast. But if we, you if you actually touch the sun, it's it's it, I mean it's still pretty darn hot. But it's, <laughs> it's like but it's, it's not as hot. Which means the thing that you've helped make has to pass through an area that is hotter than the surface of the sun by some by millions of degrees. Millions of degrees. Millions of degrees hotter than the surface of the sun, and it has to survive that process. It has to survive that. Is there but, any but we intuitive don't, reason for that? You can but that, 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 well, that's one, of the, that's one of the main science questions as to, as to why we're going there. You know, we, don't, we just don't understand it. The more we understand about the sun, the more we can try to predict what it does mm-hmm. so we can avoid, you know, two to three trillion dollar damage type conditions. But, yeah, we have no idea. Nobody has. Well, I mean, I mean people have ideas, but, but, yeah. but nothing is confirmed. There's no data. And We've just, never been there before. So and on each of these flybys, how much time will there be that it's within the distance that it's getting good data on each? Uh, many days. Oh, okay. And in fact, actually, I shouldn't even say that. That you use the term "good data," you know, good data. I'd say forever. You're always. It's always going to be gathering. They're going to keep those instruments on as long as they can. Even when it's in the far part of its orbit, because you're still. Yeah, you're still getting you know ambient data, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you get, if I told you, yeah, the solar flux here was 17. Okay, well. What is that compared to out there, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you know you want to get as you're much data to, as you can, right? You're so trying you can, to build a 3D map as completely possible. That's right. That's what's right. What's going on everywhere? Yeah. So you're gonna they're gonna try to keep those instruments on as much as they possibly can to yeah. get you know the the ambient measurements, which is which would be further away from the sun, as well as close in. But yeah, so millions. Of, so getting back to the technology thing. So the there's a heat shield. I don't know if you had a chance. Well, the, the sticker that you have on your fridge, there's a picture of the, uh-huh. of, the, of the Parker Solar Probe spacecraft on there. So one of the most noticeable features is this round shield that's protecting most of the spacecraft. So the sun side of that shield will actually be getting to roughly 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the temperature on the hot side. All right. Now you're thinking like, well, you said millions, you said millions. Well, it the the temperature there is millions, but the actual amount of heat that gets transferred is only going to is only going to raise the spacecraft temperature to roughly 2500. Think about it like um like you're cooking a pizza. 
right? What what temperature do you set the oven to when you cook a pizza? 420, yeah, something around there. Now, you, if you stuck your hand in an oven that was 425 degrees... It's not that bad. To it's not that in. bad. Meanwhile, you take a pot of boiling water, which is only 212 degrees, you stick your hand in that, you know, a measly 212 compared to 450... It it's gonna do some damage to your hand. Good point. Yeah. So why? It, it's it's the heat trans. It's the transfer. You know, you have you you, you immerse your hand. Don't don't do this. But <laughs> you know, you immerse your hand in boiling yeah, water. Dumb listeners, you <laughs> yeah. tell them that, uh, please don't. Do let this. us know. Put one hand in the <laughs> oven and the other hand in the boiling water, and tell us which of the hands yeah. are. So yeah. Get please. get your friends to email in. <laughs> With your other hand, yeah. <laughs> but it's you know your your hands are touching more molecules. You're getting more molecular contact, more heat transfer from the pot of boiling water to your hand than you would if you just stuck your hand in an ambient oven that's 400 some odd degrees. So same thing's true here. So you're passing through this the solar atmosphere while it's millions of degrees. You're you're there for a finite amount of time, and you're made out of the right materials to try to prevent as much heat transfer as possible. Mm-hmm. And so that what ends up with the residual heat that actually we do accumulate is on the order of 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Which is... Which is... All right, think, 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 about a, think about a hot day, 100 degrees. Double that. No, no, yeah, you can't, I know you can't double double Fahrenheit <laughs> temperature, but just imagine you could. Yeah, sure. you're, you're, at, you're, at, you're at 200 degrees. Oh, now, so this is 2,500 Fahrenheit, not Fahrenheit. Okay. I'm, I'm, Which is still very, very, very hot. That's right, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I was doing Celsius for the Europa discussions. That's I, right. I switched to Fahrenheit and trying but, to ch- challenge your listeners. But still, extremely, extremely hot. But 2,500 ex- degrees, it's hot. Extremely hot, but still so much less hot than you'd think for something that is passing that close to the sun. That's because the materials that the engineers came up with. But what's even more crazy, or at least what I think is more crazy, is that, like I said, on the sun side of that shield, it's 2,500 degrees. On the spacecraft side, it's a little bit warmer than room temperature. Just a little bit. Like maybe 70 to 80 degrees. Room temperature being... 68 or something like that mm. so it's just a just a few a handful of degrees warmer than room temperature it's a temperature that you would be comfortable in you would hang out there you'd wear a t-shirt but comfortable. And, 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 and and like you know bring some scuba gear or some oxygen right source and the other side i just looked up some melting points of metals and uh brass melts at 1700 fahrenheit cast iron 2200 steel at 2500 so the other side is hot enough to melt steel the other side is still hot enough yeah it's nothing to laugh at it's, just, it's not millions of degrees but it's not but, but again hot. Hot, but again steel melts every day in this country on earth like every day in steel works they are melting steel. Are you trying to make electronics work in that condition? Right, yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> but, t- t- take your iPhone and stick that in molten steel and see whether it still but, works. But I'm still saying you know? it is it is remarkable that they have managed, even on the sun side of it, to get to oh, get it down to are... a temperature that is that in an order of magnitude that you would you could experience on Earth. Like it's still, that's right. That's right. Still to be that close to the sun and have something only be as hot as a thing that you could drive up the road to and point out go it's that it's as hot as that thing is there in that foundry that's right that's right that's remarkable that's remarkable like i said there, there's that and then being able to protect the electronics it's it's taken what what uh, 2000 or 1958 it's taken this long to get those materials that's put so, together. you know 60 years of planning that's insane and what's funny is i i, I think don't quote me on this but the the most abundant material in that sunshade is 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 nothing it's a, it's actually like a carbon foam, sandwiched between two carbon layers. That's that's the main part. There's 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 coatings that are in there as well to try to reflect heat. But there's a there's a carbon carbon layer on one side, a carbon carbon layer on the other side, and this carbon foam in between. And that foam, here on Earth, is mostly air. 
So it, it's such little material for heat to transfer from one side to the other side. And that's what allows you to have a a, a thermal gradient, a temperature difference yeah. of you know, 2,500 degrees on one side and room which, temperature. Which, which again, is the same way a thermos, fl- a thermos flask that you keep your soup in or your, exactly your coffee right. in has mostly nothing is mostly a vacuum is a vacuum ideally flask. is mostly yeah. yeah mostly nothing but you still have to have something to hold the sh- but, shield but the, 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 yeah the, the something that that holds the nothing that's the carbon that's the carbon material technology yeah. that's literally taken 60 years to wow. to mature to the point that it is now for us to be able to do this mission so even just on how far distance-wise is that temperature gradient where it goes from room temperature to 2,500? Is it not just the other side of that shield or, like, farther on the... Well, no, oh, just just the other side of the shield, which is about four and a half, five inches. Five inches later, it goes down to, from room... To, from five inches. Room temperature. Five inches, yeah. That's, that's amazing. It. Good work, guys. And then the, Yeah, and the rest of the spacecraft literally is maybe about uh, 10 feet tall. So, not mm-hmm. it's not a large spacecraft. So, yeah, it's... And then if I remember from crazy. the first time we talked about it, it's powered by solar panels that it sort of peaks around the corner sometimes or that's right that's right that's that's another challenge is the solar panels because um we had the same problem on messenger the one that went to the to to mercury where you have too much sun so you you actually need to reflect them more Mm -hmm. so on on, for messenger we actually built a lot of mirrors into our solar panels for this one we for solar probe we actually we call it gimbaled the solar panels so it's kind of these panels on an arm such that you could kind of hide it behind the sunshade and then move just so that just a few cells, a few solar cells are exposed on the other side of the sunshade to actually see sun because mm-hmm. you're so close. You just, you don't need much area of solar cells. Right. And these things, presumably satellites and instruments of this sort are designed to get by on not very much electricity anyway. They don't need... That. You have to be very power efficient. You have to be very powerful. That's one of the things that we have to do as, as spacecraft designers is be very efficient with our mass, very efficient with our power, because all of those things come at a premium. So this huge surge of potentially solar energy is really unnecessary. You only need a tiny sliver of it anyway to get enough to power this, at, these instruments. Well, see, again, tiny sliver, it's a function of how far away you are, right? If you're, right. If you're at, we're launching from Earth, right? Now, we're one astronomical unit away from the sun. So the amount of solar array that we need is going to be greater when you're all the way out at Earth because the sun would and the then, sun's intensity is so much less. And then the closer you get, the more it's more the sun's the sun's way more intense, so you don't need as much solar array to collect that the solar energy anymore. Right, which is right. why uh, and you talked about this the first time you were on the show, New Horizons, which was going out to Pluto and beyond. That's right. Doesn't can't use solar power because by that point you're so far out the from the sun. The sun looks like a star. Just, the sun looks like almost like a star. It's from, a pinprick of light in the way. Out, it's a bright pinprick, but it's star. it's a useless star. But certainly not. I would never edit. say that about our sun. <laughs> yeah, you don't talk about his sun like that. Not our sun. The most important celestial object <laughs> yes. in our solar system, other than Earth, arguably. But yeah, so so for for Pluto, we actually had to go nuclear right. instead because we just you know solar panels would not work at at those ranges. So speaking of which, yeah, let's let's j- jump around a bit because we don't have that much time with you. Because so when you first came on the show, mm-hmm. you were talking about New Horizons, and it just it had just gone past Pluto, and it got that uh, those amazing pictures that are still coming through that we're still analyzing yeah, took, and still took, looking at. It took about a year to downlink all the data from from there because you know the it's so far away that you know at the farther just like your uh, your cell phone when you're walking away from your Wi-Fi at home, the Wi-Fi gets worse and worse. Right, the worse the signal, the slower the transfer. The slower your data rate. And so, also, as you were talking about when you first came on the show, we're, 
also that modem that we're currently using that's in New Horizon was designed a decade ago. It was, yeah, it was designed a decade ago. But again, it's it's the the operative thing is the power. You know, the less power you have, the less data you can transfer. And the farther away you are, the less power you have, the less the less data. That's, so that's the main that's the main restriction. That's on the how main, fast it transfers. That's the main thing is is the amount of received power. And like I said, every, every time you just a rule of thumb, every time you double your distance, your your data rate goes down by a quarter. Right, because so, it's an inverse square law. Inverse square. Good job. Yeah, inverse, inverse square law. That's right. So you you double your distance, it goes down by a quarter. It, um, it becomes a quarter. Goes down by a quarter. It becomes a quarter. Okay. Yeah. So it. Thank you for correcting oh, me. No, I wasn't trying I to... Can't, I'm kicking myself now for speaking. Sure You're right. It's, it's, a, it's a 75% reduction, not okay. a 25% reduction. That's, because because the signal is going out in all directions. So it's got, it's, that's right. That's right. So it's just getting spread out so thin. The cross-section of it is a, is a square compared, or a sort of... Well, you, or a, you're, you're a seeing, circle compared to a point. That's right. That's right. So that, that's why it took about a year or so to get all the data back from that Pluto flyby from 2015. But. So so when you were on the show last, we'd just gone past Pluto and we were you're excited about the images that were just starting to come through mm-hmm. and then you were like, we're working on a new target, now it's carrying on and this thing's still working. Right. We've got a potential likely candidate. That's right. So about a year or so before we flew by Pluto, um, the, Hubble space, the Hubble Space Telescope was just, you know, hanging out, doing its thing, looking across the skies and it was looking down the trajectory of where new horizons would be going and it it, it this is just fortuitous very fortuitous they, they were looking just to see is there anything else out there now you know we have we have our rocky planets then we have the gas giants then we have what what we now call the kuiper belt which is where where pluto is now mm-hmm. and the kuiper belt goes very very far uh, many 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 au like i think i think pluto's around 30 or so au from the sun astronomical units and astronomical right units just to be clear because i don't think we've defined it is the distance is the distance one astronomical unit unit is the earth to the sun that's correct that's correct so, so pluto as you say Pl- is 32 pluto, 30 32 somewhere you could you could wikipedia it's, it's right so it's, it's around 30 there. times further out from the sun than right. we are now and now that we're three years later we're about 40 times away now I think of 44 or 45 times away from the sun. So the, the, the Kuiper belt extends out at least that far. And then there's other objects even further away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the further out you go, the, the more sparse, you know, space, space is big. We talked about that before. So right. there's and a how, lot of, a lot of empty, empty space in space. And at some point, at what point do you stop defining it really as being part of the solar system? Where, where, at there, what point there, do you... I think there actually is, there's, there's a definition of where the solar where the sphere of influence of the sun ends yeah, and it's something... way further than that well yeah, the voyager spacecraft just in the last 10 years when it's it for the first time to, to interstellar space yeah yeah and that, that's the thing ever yeah that, that was a voyager spacecraft that's like that's way way 70s, out there right? in the 70s yeah and it's still still kicking you know amazing but um, we're still getting i think sig- i guess i, 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 I think every once in a while we get a beep from it you know right. just but it's it's remarkable but for for Voyager, you know, once it, it flew by, there were two Voyager spacecraft. They they surveyed all four of our gas giants amongst the two of them, and then they just they just kept on going, and that was I don't want to say that's it because that's that's a remarkable feat right there. But they didn't visit any anything else because the further away you go, the more empty space there is between things. So we were hoping that somebody would be able to find something else for us to visit because we got this perfectly viable it's spacecraft and you know it's going somewhere it's, yeah. it, it just flew by pluto it's a perfectly healthy spacecraft about the size of a grand piano moving along hurtling through space and hubble like i said about a year or so before we did the pluto flyby found something 
and it was at first designated 2014 MU69 was the technical term for it. And it was a rock, we think, roughly about 20 miles wide. So the small little guy. But it happened to be within striking range of where New Horizons could go. So um, all the engineers that were looking, and scientists were looking at this thing, and they, they've been able to do a lot of astrometry to try to pinpoint the orbit of this thing. So just, just to figure out what the orbit is of something that's that far away and that small is really difficult. Yeah. And it, it in fact, was within, within the uh, cone that New Horizons could get to. So for the last few years, we've been doing small, slight trajectory correction maneuvers with New Horizons to, to put it on an intercept course. And in fact, this week, this week, we're going to start doing the, what we call optical navigations, where we're actually going to t- take the cameras that we have and put it on MU69, which has actually now gotten a new name. It's called Ultima Thule. It was a... It, it's Is a, it because they didn't want to have that number because of the Snickers? Because of the Snickers. <laughs> also, it's not, it's not the most compelling thing. You know, it's just a series of two, 2014 MU69, you know, it's like, eh. So, uh, from literature, Ultima Thule actually means that which is beyond the known world. I might have mm. the translation slightly off, but it's very poetic. You know, and, and engineers no and scientists... No relation to the roof rack company. You can look it up. Okay. You know? So something beyond... A distant place beyond the known world, Ultima Thule. That's what we're going to be visiting. So um, we're going to be doing our first what we call optical navigations, opnavs of this thing, just to make sure that we're actually on track and there's nothing else in the way. Because we don't want to see that we don't we don't want there to be any kind of space dust or something like that that'll hit us and potentially knock us out. Right. So we're we're doing these you know constantly like opening our eyes literally with the, with the cameras that we have to make sure that what we have in front of us is clear mm-hmm. and we're on track to see this thing. And you know because as we get closer, New Horizons will be the best way of determining the position of Ultima Thule, and we're going to do our flyby. And that's, that's, this flyby is actually going to be closer than we were. We're going to get closer to this thing than we got to Pluto. Oh, yeah. how yeah. far away do you think in miles? I, I think I think in the thousands of miles, we're going to be we're going to be uh, flying by this thing enough that we'll have actual. Not that it matters to make it PR friendly, but like, are there going to be cool looking pictures? Is it mostly there just are, kind of data? That, no, it's going to be pictures. Really? I think they're going to get resolution down to thirty meters or something like that. Damn! So at a yeah. thousand miles away from it, a twenty mile ride. But also, it'll be going past it incredibly quickly. Incredibly right? fast. Yeah, that, that's one of the hardest things about about uh, spacecraft. But you know, we figured that out because we do that with with a bunch of other spacecraft too. Is you know, taking pictures as you're moving fast over over various surfaces. Well, the, even just the, the the technological challenge of that, like just well, trying to get something in focus when you are moving <laughs> past it. At we did that with Pluto. We, you know, if, you, if you think about, it, we haven't added speed to New Horizons. Right, since the, you know, it's just hurtling along. So, in you guys have all seen the the pictures that we got back from Beautiful. Pluto, which good work. And, and, you know, they were they it were feels perfect. Like trying to read. You know, when it's you hard. try to read, like, the name of a, a train station as you're going through it. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about those, those, those billboards that are, you know, the, the, uh, those warnings that, that say, like, you know, if you see something, call this number. Right. You're, and they, they, you're driving. But you can only really see it when you're at a distance, like, looking forward. As you go straight past it, you're just, you're just passing it too quickly. It's by. a blur. Right. That's right. That's right. So you have to be smart about how you take those pictures. And that's why, that's why building a, you know, a camera that's going to go to visit another planet is a little bit more expensive than the camera in my new iPhone X. Right. It's a very good camera on this iPhone X, but it's not going to cut it. So, that's, uh, so New Horizons has burst mode, is what you're that's saying. That's right. New Horizons. That's it. That's, I love it. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I'm going to use that. 
but does it have portrait mode? Because maybe music. Maybe m- maybe you want it. Maybe out. you want it to be like kind uh, of like. Nice. A, Wait, no, you, you're on you, New Horizons you, you sideways. Me, <laughs> you, 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 you taught me. You taught me the word bokeh. I think. That's, oh, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, the, that's that fuzz of things that are in the you background. Have, you know, not, there's actually a term for that. Field, yeah. yeah, that's actually a term for that. So, yeah. But that, that's, so that, that is gonna, interestingly enough, is going to be flying by on January 1st, 2019. That's awesome and very so, soon. Very, very soon. And again, just, just like you know, me missing my wife's and mine fifth anniversary because it was well known, I, I know that, 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 that this, this New Year's we're going to be spending. Ultima Thule. Ultima Thule. Beyond the, uh, are you optimistic you're gonna be able to see that little prince standing on it, uh, or is, he could be sleeping? You don't know. Right? Could be, could be. Yeah. We don't know. But it, 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 it's, do, do we know anything about Ultima Thule about this makeup or anything like that right we, now? We, we we think it's made of some sort of rock and ice. That's about <laughs> it. Okay. We, we we know we we I don't I can't say we know, but we we are we're estimating it to be on the order of twenty miles wide. And oh, this was actually interesting. The um, a few years ago, some people from the New Horizons team, as well as some ground astronomers, they did what's called a stellar occultation measurement. Mm-hmm. So Ultima Thule was going to be passing between a star that's out there and the Earth. And it was going to be happening just like, just like the, uh, the solar eclipse that we had. We, we knew it was going to, last year, we knew it was going to traverse uh, the United States, right? So likewise, this thing was going to traverse South America. So what they did is we set up uh, a whole bunch of, when I say we, I didn't have anything to do with this. It was a bunch of other people, but they set up a whole bunch of ground observatories to look at this one star that would momentarily wink out of existence and then wink back as it was being uh, what we call occulted or as it was being eclipsed by Ultima Thule. And they actually, so you you had many observations across South America recording exactly the time that it, that it winked away. And when it came back and it, showed the shape you could actually see a shape because of the various geographical locations that you were wide it thing did could show and, us it, the shape. and it showed the shape of kind of and like a like a, a peanut shell so uh, it's yeah, funny because the whole time two. i'm picturing that um is it an asteroid what was the thing that we landed something on uh eros we landed on on the asteroid eros uh i think in 2001 with the another spacecraft that Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab built before that my was in time, two thousand. I thought that was more recent. The one that had oh, like oh a, the two lobes to it, the, kind of. All right, there, all right, so there's been a couple. The first asteroid was done by us back in two thousand one. Okay, sorry, that it was also looked also looked like a a peanut. So that that was called Eros, and we landed on on February fourteenth, two thousand one. Oh. So yet again on the asteroid Eros, yet so again like Valentine's Day. Engineers and scientists, you know, we 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 have a flair for things. But I mean, you so, named it Eros because of that, right? No, it was named Eros before that. What? Yeah, good we're that nice. good. That's impressive. So, <laughs> but so likewise, so this this rock seems to have that same shape. Now, it could be one rock shaped like a peanut, or it actually might even be two more spherical rocks just offset in space such that from our point of view it looked like a peanut that makes sense would they have enough gravity to be staying that close to each would they be can you have two they things might, that are 10 miles wide actually have a slow well, orbit around each other or they, they they very likely could or they just could be moving in tandem they're just happening you know, nearby and they, they might be that way for another millions a few millions of years you know and they until we, they we get caught up in something else's gravitational system and eventually... That's that Planet X that's out there? Yeah, maybe, but we'll see. But anyway, so we're, we're yeah, going to find out. There's so little out there that would stop their path that would break them up or knock them out of shape. As far as we know. As far as we know. You know, if they're... they're who knows, there's talk about some other big gas giant that's out beyond that we haven't discovered anything there's that's still orbiting our sun? Yeah, there's some evidence of, of something like that being there. This is, now we're talking more... Uh, 
stuff that's way outside of my my yeah, wheelhouse. Yeah, I've never even heard that. That's a theory. Yeah, you should look it up. There's the yeah, like unknown gas giant beyond the Kuiper cool. Belt. Yeah, there's there's evidence that there might be something out there, but it hasn't. I guess officially it wouldn't be considered a planet yet because if planet has to sweep out its path, which is one of the reasons that Pluto got demoted a few years ago. Oh, I didn't know. I I thought it was just because of the size. Yeah, me too. No, no, it was um. So the the the, uh, the powers that be came up with the with a set of rules that determine whether or not something is a planet. So interestingly enough, when we launched New Horizons, Pluto was a planet, but then it got demoted at some point in time. So it, 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 between, it wasn't when you guys passed that it got demoted. It was before that. Bef- yeah, it got de- got demoted oh, between when we launched. I think the same year that we launched, it might have gotten demoted. Um, but after we launched, so it, it, one of the criteria. So one of the criteria is it has to be kind of spherical ish. Um, but the criteria that Pluto failed was that it has to what they call sweep out its orbit. So you think about Jupiter and Earth and all the other you know agreed upon eight planets. There's nothing else like in their way. Any, anything that was in their way, they either knocked out or they've absorbed into their own system as one of their own moons. Mm-hmm. All right, so that that means there's nothing else there. Whereas Pluto is in the Kuiper Belt. There's a whole bunch of stuff there, so Pluto hasn't swept cleared out its orbit, way. cleared its orbit. So that that was the criteria criterion that Pluto failed by this new definition that happened shortly after. Uh, but there aren't. We don't think there are other things Pluto sized in the Kuiper Belt, right? We would know about those. There are. There's oh. there's another there's another uh, uh, there's there's five main dwarf planets, uh, Pluto's the second one, but I think there's another one called I, I believe it's it's Maki Maki I believe that's a little bit bigger oh. than Pluto. What? I think it's, it's a hair bigger. Did we not know that until you guys passed? Because we didn't. No, know no, no. Well, I mean, we didn't we, we didn't pass by Maki Maki. I mean, but I mean, but we, you knew you thought Pluto was. We didn't have exact dimensions on Pluto until you guys flew by, right? That, that right? That's right. That's right. But in the last. In the last 10, 15 years, there's been, it's almost like a renaissance of planetary science. You know, we, we've had so many planetary missions, but also our ground observation capability has gotten a lot better. Mm-hmm. And there was just like a, a whole lot of new dwarf planets being discovered and, and new objects out that. there, such, such as Ultima Thule. You know, a whole bunch of objects that we're, we're discovering and, uh, and being able to track. And like I said, it's kind of like almost a golden age of... Uh, of space exploration it's it's, just, it's exciting that's great yeah you know it's like the, our, our our parents generation had the apollo had the apollo program which you know that was quite awesome and now here we are we're gonna we're sending a spacecraft to scratch the surface of the sun we're gonna visit europa which has the chance of having life on there you know we just flew by pluto we're gonna see a we're gonna see another rock that's 45 au away from the sun the farthest thing ever explored you know, and you know, you talked about the other spacecraft that landed on the asteroid. We have all yeah. sorts of things going on on Mars. I mean, this that it's kind of quite awesome, actually, because this is what our generation is going to have. Yeah, this right. is our golden That's, age right now. And you're, everything is on. Uh, nothing's been changing uh, funding wise. Everything's on a good path. Do you think? Like funding wise, I mean, obviously, everything can always be better. Yeah. But I think we're getting appropriate funding. Yeah. You know, we we obviously stuff that we're working on i'd always like to see more funding for right, it course, yeah. but I, th- I think it's it's appropriate i mean we have um there was a there's a new mission uh, there's a competition out there going on right now between two missions one of them that's gonna gonna sample a comet and another one is going to land a quadcopter or an octocopter on titan no that's the moon of saturn <laughs> that that's actually the, the what, what we talked about the, that latter one is actually one of the things that we're putting in we're uh the applied physics lab is competing with another institution to get funding for a mission and our mission called dragonfly which i I hope gets funded it literally will land on titan 
and it's an octocopter. So you think about think about the the Mars rovers, right? Those are insane success stories. Yeah. And part of the coolness about those rovers is that it didn't just land in one spot and take measurements there. It landed and it roved. Hence the term rover. Right. And you're able to get you're able to get all sorts of measurements across a wider geographical. Um, we see more geographical diversity across your measurements. So. Wouldn't it be cool to fly instead of roving? Think about the range that you'll be able to get. So and the atmosphere on Titan is sufficiently thick that you can get lift from rotor blades. So Titan is actually quite... It's, it's, it's perfect for this. So the, the, not only is the gravity much less than Earth, but the atmosphere is much thicker. So, really? You know, so you got, so you got, oh. you got, you got gravity kind of working for you, you know, not, not pulling you down as much, and you got, um, and you got the, the thickness... To, so to generate lift to, to generate the lift so you're we'll, we'll land we'll take some measurements and we'll generate lift and go and you know dragonfly our way somewhere else and if you if you if you google this thing it, it looks like a dragonfly very aptly named spacecraft so anyway but speaking back to this hasn't been uh, decided yet by nasa but mm-hmm. the next big billion dollar level mission is going to be one of these two so you know nasa what's the rival bid what are they they're going to be land they're going to be doing a comet sample return they're going to land on a comet, get a sample of it, and bring it back. So that's that's also that's I mean, also I, very cool. Yeah, it's very it's very cool. You know, it's like I hate to admit it, but you know, our competition also has something that's really interesting up there. Yeah, and, we, and, have we never brought anything back to Earth that wasn't like from the Moon? Is that the only thing we gotten samples returned from? Or am I- that, that I'm aware of? There might be something else that I'm not aware of, but I I can't think of it. I'm, I, I'm not the expert on this though. But I, I we haven't gotten a piece of a comet back. Yeah, yeah. So that would be kind of cool. But to fly a quad co- or an octocopter <laughs> yeah. on an alien it's world, not bad. It's not bad. you know, that uh, orbiting Saturn, you know, yeah. I just looked it up. I, I wouldn't have pictured uh, each of the pairs are stacked on top of each other. So That's it's right. Like four it, sets of two. It, it's that four are sets of two, two set, levels. It's actually of. redundancy built into the built into the system. Oh, that's there. right. Okay. So it's it's it. I've, I've, yeah, I've erroneously said oct- uh, quadcopter, and I correct myself to octocopter. But, but it's it really kind of it looks re- like a quadcopter. That it's really a quadcopter that has dual quads. Uh-huh. So a dual quadcopter. Right? Yeah, it's almost like a quadcopter biplane. Like it's there. You go. Yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it. And it's like a double decker quad, quadcopter. There's nothing next to it in these artist renderings to give a sense of how big that the actual. Yeah, I can't. I can't speak to exactly how big that is. I'm sure we'll find something. There, yeah, well, I can, but, you can link to it if you guys want to look at the show notes here. Yeah, so that, that's that's uh, so NASA periodically has um, various competitions to do to do missions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's two there's two main classes of those. There's a what's called a discovery class, which is on the order of half a billion dollars, and a new frontiers class, which is roughly a, a billion dollars, a little bit less. And this is the billion the billion dollar like a little bit less on the order of eight hundred fifty million dollar category. Uh, I'm guessing this so. competition is generally only open to legitimate space agencies. Well, I think there there's a call that's open to anybody. Okay. And part of the competition is to show that you know what you're doing. Right. So if you're an illegitimate, like, wouldn't it be cool? Bitter, like any you know, any proposal that starts with the words wouldn't, wouldn't it be it cool? Be cool <laughs> if that that that. It's probably not going to work. Dude, just imagine. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> All right. It's like, we All can right. do this. You get to the bottom of the pile, because... But you think about it. Flying a quadcopter on an alien moon of Saturn. 
That yeah. probably started off with a couple scientists yeah. saying, yeah. dude, wouldn't it be cool I, if... I don't doubt for a second and, that the first draft you know, of the proposal did include those words. I, I, I How wouldn't great be would it be that when you're about to send it and you've got a 100-page proposal, it's exhaustively researched, it's it's viable, you just add the word dude in a comma in front of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, I mean, if, if I was the evaluator, that would seal the deal right there. Yeah. You know? Well, like the very last the very last line is, it would be the shit. <laughs> <laughs> we thank you for your time. <laughs> Well, I hope Dragonfly succeeds, and I can't wait to see more Ultima Thule pictures in about five months or so. Six. So, months, yeah. so, so again, remember we had to wait a whole year for all the Pluto pictures to get. Back. Oh, that's but we, right. we we will get some quick pictures back, just like we did from, from Pluto, you know. But then it'll probably be a long amount of time because right. remember we're, we're the front page. We're even further away. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're you know we were so like Pluto a day or like, so after the flyby, you'll get the New York Times front page picture. The, that's right. That's everyone's right. I excited so. about. I hope so. I hope so. And then over yeah. the next year, or even more, you'll slowly get the trickle of... The... We'll get the trickle of all the rest of the stuff and all the other images that they take. So there's a lot of stuff going on. What, what, That's awesome. So much stuff in it. I know we're just wrapping up, but I just wanted... What, what, what kind of things came in the subsequent pictures from Pluto that well, we got months we, after the headlines that everyone was excited at? What did you find out months afterwards? So we, we got a lot of interesting pictures. We were able to um, see Pluto's atmosphere, actually. There's, if, you, if you Google Pluto's atmosphere, you'll see a an epic photograph that shows various layers of the atmosphere, you know, which was stitched together from many different pictures, but it's, it's phenomenal. You know, it, it really truly makes it look like a, like an alien world that some sci-fi show will visit at some oh, point. Oh yeah. Oh, these look like fake pictures. Yeah. No, those aren't fake. <laughs> I didn't think they were. They those aren't look- fake. Those are real. Those are the real deal. Wait, so, that's fake, though, right? I'm sure there's some. There's fake one that's there. a rendering, I think, but I, I'm guessing this one is. If, yeah. so, if somebody yeah. superimposed a heart on Pluto, that <laughs> that that, that, that would be fake. But there is still a heart on Pluto. Just you know, so there was that. But not only not only Pluto, but there was uh, Pluto is actually a system. There's, uh, I think, five moons now discovered of Pluto. We knew, we knew about Charon, um, but there's there's Styx. There's uh, a few other moons. Of, of of Pluto, and we were able to snap a few pictures of those. We have a lot of pictures of Charon actually that came down, and you see there's there's a gigantic canyon across Charon. That's the main moon of Pluto, uh-huh. and we got those pictures, um, and we got not as great pictures of the other moons because we had, as you know, we had very limited time during the flyby sequence. We had right. to pick and, and choose. And you didn't even know what you were looking for at first because you didn't I, know it was there when you flew. When, when we when we launched the thing, we didn't know that it was there. You know. And actually, this is another interesting thing about another interesting thing about Ultima Thule. It's the first destination in the solar system that we're going to visit that we discovered after the launching of the visiting spacecraft. Did you get oh, you get yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah. So it's like you know you're you're. You didn't lo- even know you could have been aiming for it before you. That's right. That's right. Out. So the first time that happened, you know, where, where we're doing something like that. That's awesome. I'm that does sound. T- that does actually feel sort of Star Trekky. Of just we. This is a thing we've discovered after our mission. We're just seeing what's That's out right. there. Let's see. What, it's exactly what it is. Let's see. Let's, it's a let's see what's out there kind of thing. You know, make it so. I'm looking over at uh, pluto.jhuapl.edu, which has a bunch of uh, photos from the mission. If people want to check that out, and we can link to all these over at probablyscience.com. Also, if you then, just want to do some more investigation. And where else can listeners find out about everything you you and your team are doing well there's the europa clipper website that's that's linked uh, i believe that's hosted at jpl like i mentioned that that's a collaborative mission between apl and jpl which is really really awesome i gotta say it's kind of like a like an all-star team of people from two awesome places and making this that mission work uh-huh. and then uh solar probe there's there's a website off the off the uh jhu apl website for yeah. that as well you could put that in the we'll link as well that, yeah. and yeah 
That's Can't what we got going on. Can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, January, be looking for those uh, Ultima Thule. And then um, how, and, how many years until the first good well, flyby of Well, the first, the first flyby is actually going to be at either October or November of this year. Oh. Wow. You know, but it's not. It's nowhere near that eight that uh, eight solar radii aspect mm. of things. But all, all of these earlier flybys are still interesting. In fact, some of the earlier ones actually end up being the equivalent of geo geostationary now there's some spacecraft that are orbiting earth that we call geostationary your direct tv ones are where it's like it's orbiting earth at the same rate that earth is rotating so it's always above the same spot of earth at the same time so some of these earlier flybys of the sun actually have the solar equivalent of that so it it, the spacecraft from the sun's point of view is kind of going to kind of be hovering over the same spot so you're going to be seeing the same piece of geography same piece of heliography, heliography. Yeah, <laughs> for, for a a large amount of time. So that's going to be that's that's never been seen before, right? Because awesome. you, know? you get to see what, how one specific part of the surface of the sun changes over time. It changes over time. That's right. So you know we're getting granted these flybys aren't like the quote unquote money flybys that are that are really so close, but they 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 will yield yeah. new science that we've never seen before. That's awesome. So you know we're getting good, really good stuff. And then uh, we're protect- protected from the next uh, $3 trillion solar storm. From what we that's learned, that's our hopes. If we can understand <laughs> yeah. how all this stuff works, yeah. you know, you got the sun and the earth, the two most important celestial objects in the, in the solar system. We don't understand how they work. And we hope to figure that out. 60 years in the making. I'm that's so right. glad that you got to come tell us about this. This is exciting stuff. A lot of fun, congrats. guys. Yeah, congrats on all the missions so far and continued success. Awesome. And thank you for stopping by. And, and thank you, listeners. This was... Um, this was an extra bonus one-off episode, so we don't have any of the normal donations and things because yeah. we just did two episodes back-to-back. But thank you. Anyone who does want to donate, as always, probablyscience.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Click on the donation tab. We very much appreciate it. We also appreciate everyone who spreads the word by tweeting, Facebooking, writing nice things about us on the iTunes comment section, giving yeah. us nice five-star ratings. All that good stuff helps. Uh, you can email us probablyscience.gmail.com you can tweet us at probablyscience individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen and correct. are you on you don't do Twitter right so I gotta get on that no you I don't I mean it's over that. man it's over happy <laughs> with all the platforms oh, am, is, is that a, I'm, already, I'm already obsolete well I mean I think Twitter is the one that everyone's like wishing that they could get away from because it's uh, okay. for reasons Quite we won't go into <laughs> I feel like every time I mention Facebook like I'm, I'm, I'm showing that I'm you know 40 years old that was, not, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer hip they're all know? bad in different ways but uh, yeah, I don't think you're missing anything being off Twitter. Right. But I, I just, I just, I just don't want to be old, you know. I, I got three <laughs> kids right now, so they're, they're, I, I, I want to stay somewhat hip. If I mean, I can. you could get on Snapchat, but I think that's also kind of. I don't even know anymore. Yeah. We're all, we're all too old to know what the good <laughs> oh, one no. is now. Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for yes, listening. Deepak, really thank it. you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. Yep. We'll see you next time. See you. Bye. Bye.